Well, good morning to you. My name is AJ. I'm one of the pastors here at Citadel Square. And as one of your pastors, uh, before we get into the sermon text, I just want to say it is a joy of mine to hear you sing on Sundays. It is a joy of mine to, to see you pray uh, for the lost all around uh, the globe. And so I, I know as, as I hear your, your passion, please and, and, and prayer and praise to God uh, when you're singing. I know that you come expectantly uh, before the word of God. So uh, I don't want this to be a time where you just, uh, you know, easily, so easily click out and, and, and go straight over to our phones, which are a distraction from a distraction from a distraction, right? We've, we've kind of become that kind of culture. Um, but we're, we're coming expectantly to approach the Word of God this morning. And so I am honored to be here this morning in front of you, diving into Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 8. I just want to say uh, hello to those of, of you who are joining us via video, uh, our Citadel Square at Home crew. Uh, we look forward to you all being able to join us uh, live in person uh, very soon. And so we are glad you're following along with us uh, from home. So you can go ahead, open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. If you're in one of the pew Bibles there that we have in front of you, I think that's going to be on page 522, on 522. And so if uh, we want the Word of God really to get into your life, into your mind, into your heart, into your soul. We believe it has the power to transform you. And so if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take that one that's right there in front of you as a gift. Uh, Take that home with you and and read it and get into it. And so as you're turning there, uh, we've been in Ecclesiastes for several weeks and uh, we're we're coming to to chapter 8. And I want us to think as we're turning toward Ecclesiastes 8 about Uh, how you would complete this statement as we start this morning. My life will have meaning once I get control over blank. My life will have meaning once I get control over fill in the blank. Maybe... Uh, maybe some rephrasing will soften the edges. You're like, dude, that sounded pretty, pretty sinister and maniacal, AJ, all right? So think about it like this. My life will have purpose and value once I get direction on this area. Does that soften the edges for you a little bit? Can you complete that statement? If you're a note taker, can you write down what that may be for you this morning? You see... Each of us has to battle frustration from our inability to produce the exact outcome we desire. You see, each of us has limitations. Our our biblical passage today in Ecclesiastes, it's going to cause us to come face to face with areas of our life where we want to be in control. And we're going to face those limitations And we're going to see that that's a good thing. It will cause you to face your inabilities to control those areas 
even through the accumulation of wisdom. Just wisdom in this container, it has its limits, right? In this human container, in this human vessel, in all those human beings out there, wisdom still has its limits. So, my life will have direction and purpose once I get control over what? Write that down. Think about that. This is what I want you walking out of here with today. It's three tiny sentences I think that you can remember, that you can grab, that you can get some handles on, that you can take with you this week as we, as we attempt to, to apply this text to our lives. So here it is. You ready? Use wisdom. It has limitations. So do I. Use wisdom. It has limitations, so do I. Can you repeat that with me? Use wisdom, it has limitations, so do I. All right, let me pray for us and then we'll dive in to God's word. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your scriptures. God, we, we come and we approach them. God, we want our lives to be transformed. We know that the word of God can do that, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it pierces us, that it meets us, that it comforts us, that it encourages us. And so, Father, I pray that we would, we would walk away today challenged that our perspective would not be the same as we came in. And so, Father, we thank you for that. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So use wisdom. It has limitations. And so do I. You see, I know we approach the Word of God, we come to God's Word, and we want to know more, right? Wisdom, even it, in and of itself, it does have limitations when it's not just God's wisdom in and of itself. When it's trickled down to us, it has some limitations. But we want to not just know more about God through His Word. We want to know God. That's what we were singing. That's what I witnessed. That's what I heard you all singing is, I want to know God more deeply. And so in this text today, we're going to see a couple different sections. And so if you're one of those awesome structured note takers, you will want to jot these down as well. So we're going to see unpredictable authority in this text, how to deal with that, how to, how to operate un, underneath unpredictable authority. We're going, to, we're going to look at point number two, uncertainty. How does wisdom function in a life that's uncertain? In uncertain circumstances, how do I go about that? How do I navigate those waters? Then we're going to see number three, unfairness. What about a life where I see out in the world all these inequities? How am I supposed to function when I see that all around me and all around the globe? And then fourth, the last point, unsearchable. We will see that not even when we, when we accumulate all this wisdom can we even know the ways of God. All right, so let's look at verse one there in Ecclesiastes chapter eight. It starts with a proverb here. It says, who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness 
of his face is changed. So we've got the teacher, the preacher, communicating this to us, right? This is either Solomon writing it down himself or it's definitely written from a Solomonic perspective. So we're learning from Solomon here and he shares us a proverb. That's kind of his MO because he wrote most of what? Proverbs, right? And so we see this and he's writing this and he says, who is like the wise? We see the value of wisdom here, all right, in this opening statement. We see who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of, of a thing. Well, what's the answer to this question, right? What's the answer to this question? Well, the answer is that a wise person, right, can know the interpretation of a thing. That almost, I'm a South Carolinian, so I can say this. This almost sounds like a South Carolinian translation. And who knows the interpretation of a, and they just ran out of a word, so they were like, of a thing, right? And so they just were like, I'm just going to throw that in there. It reads like one of my text messages. Who knows the interpretation of a thing? So that's what wisdom is, though. It's understanding. It's the interpretation of many things, right? And then it says something very interesting. It says, a man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. Wisdom makes you look different, doesn't it? It makes you look different. You see, it, it makes you look like someone whose face shines, it softens the face. It, it, it has a glow to it. It has an approachability to it. You can almost see the perspective. You can see the understanding on a person's face. You can see their wise worldview maybe when they don't get rattled by things. When things, right, when they stay calm in the midst of storms. You can see the wisdom on a person's face. And you see, the author here is writing towards someone who's in the, the royal courts of the king. So they're going to tell you, this is what a person looks like who is wise. This is the value of wisdom. And here's a really, really practical scenario that would have happened back in the day. These types of kings were around. But how do you deal with this kind of unpredictable authority? when you're maybe in the royal court, right? When you're someone who is a subject of the king. So the king's counselor, should he disobey him? Let's see. I say, keep the king's commands because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? So we've got this picture of this character who's before the king, right? This king's counselor, this person who has a high level of access to this unpredictable authority. Who knows how this king is going to act? Who knows when, when something comes up against him, what he's going to say, what he's going to do, what he's going to order. So... Would a wise person that's in the king's courts, would he disobey him? No, he would not. Why? 
Why would he not disobey this king? He would not disobey him because of this. Because of God's oath to him. You may have a footnote in your Bible right there. You may have a footnote that's going to that's gonna give you a clue to something. It's going to say, or because of your oath to God. And so no matter whether God is the object or the originator of this oath, the oath is based upon God being the orchestrator of authority. He sets up the authority here. So he's saying, keep the oath, right? So you should use wisdom even as you may have to distance yourself from the authority. So when this king, so he says, be hasty not to go from his, from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause for he does whatever he pleases. So this king He's saying, don't go behind this, this king's back to rise up against him. Okay, don't, don't take your stand there. Use wisdom in operating and dealing with authority. So when do we defy authority? When should we defy authority? I think Acts chapter 5, I think Romans chapter 13 inform us and populate this answer to this question for us. They, te- they teach us how to defy authority when it goes against our, our conscience as a believer. And you can take that and stretch that as far as the apostles, the martyrs, right? Christian prisoners went as far as defying authority in a Christ-like manner and said, I'm going to be like Christ even unto death. Because that was the ultimate. They were not willing to go against their conscience of their Christian belief. They were not willing to turn their back on God in light of keeping authority. And so we can say very clearly, wisdom says, obey authority here until it causes you to defy God. Don't defy God because of authority. And that's crystal clear. Number, uh, verse four says, for the word of the king is supreme and who may say to him, what are you doing? And then he ends here with another proverb. He says, Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. What does it mean? You see, wisdom operates under unpredictable authority in this way. We so often find ourselves waiting for the optimal time to do what we are supposed to do. Well, when is the optimal time to do the right thing? When is the optimal time coming in this sinful world? Right? The optimal time to do the right thing is right then. Don't excuse yourself from doing the right thing. So this can, this can recall, it can bring up, it can remind you, right, of characters in the scriptures like Joseph, it can remind you of characters like Daniel who had high access to authority, to leadership, to these types of kingly characters. And Daniel chapter 2 verses 21 says, he, ch- he changes times and seasons. He got, he removes kings and sets up kings. So when we are, are obeying 
authority, we are recognizing God. We are, we are looking at our perspective and saying, God, I am honoring you because I'm trusting that you set up kings and you remove kings. See, our God is the God of heaven and of earth. And he's, in, he's sovereign and in control here. And so we remember this oath. Here's a little application for you on this point. So how does, I'm, I'm, I'm not really going before the king much, AJ. Have you guys been before the king recently? Anybody? Anybody been before? The, okay. Uh, and so how does this work? How does this work for us? How does this apply? How do we take five verses like this and say, okay, you mentioned some stuff about leadership and authority. So here's a couple, uh, here's a couple questions for you. Is this your attitude toward authority? Serve me, I'm the authority. Whenever you're in charge, whenever you have some sway, do you think, serve me? Did you see the badge? Did you see the job title? Right, serve me. Or maybe when you're not in authority, is your attitude, serve me, you're the authority. Right, that's why you get paid the, the big bucks, right? You're the authority. So here are a couple diagnostic applicable questions for you, I think. Is it a delight to be led by me? When I'm, when I'm the authority, is it a delight to be led by me? And then here's the question for a lot of us, right? When we have someone above us, whether it's a boss, whether it's, you know, a teacher, whether it's whomever it may be, someone in front of us, is it a delight to lead me? Is it a delight to lead me? You see, that same thought of the right time and the right way, when is that right time continues in verse six. Let's look at, let's look at our, our battle with uncertainty. What does wisdom look like when I'm not in control? Verse six says this, for there is a time and a way for everything. Although man's trouble lies heavy on him. This sounds a lot like Ecclesiastes 3.1, doesn't it? Turn back there. And it says, for everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. So we've got here, he's acknowledging that there's a time and a season for everything. Although man's trouble lies heavy on him. We just have that perspective. We carry that with us, okay? And so we can't just punt on this, but the struggle that, that's coming up is we're dealing with uncertainty and we want life to be predictable. Look at this in verse seven. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? Whether it's the king, whether it's the guy in the royal court, whether it's you, whether it's me, whether it's our boss, whether it's our parents, whether it's our authority, whether it's our teacher, who can actually predict what's going to happen next? 
Who can actually tell us what's going to, well, you can learn a lot of good lessons from history. Yes, you can, right? But who actually can tell you how things will be? No man, listen to this, no man has the power to retain the spirit. Some translations say wind there. Or power over the day of the dead, uh, day of dead, of death, excuse me. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. Look at these. These are, these are four examples of powerlessness to control present events. We can't control the present nor the future. We, we are just bombarded with our limitations in this text. We, it says these four examples of powerlessness, we can't retain the spirit. We don't have power over the day of, the, of death. We, <clears throat> we don't know, uh, there's no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had no had power over man to his hurt. God is sovereign, you see. The sovereignty of God is on display here. But we are embracing the fact that we can control only, right? We can't control all these things. We've got four examples of just, we have no power. We have no control over when these things happen. We're going to do, let's do a quick poll here, okay? There's, this is not a trick question, so it's not going to be like any shame game going on based on how you answer, but I need like 100% participation, okay? So, no traps, no feeling guilty on this. So, everyone should have their hand raised in one of three ways. I just want the real data. That's what I'm interested in, okay? So, when it comes to learning about leadership, uh, business, self-improvement. I'm not going to say self-help because that's like a cuss word in church, okay? You don't go to the self-help book section. Personality assessments, uh, organizational health, entrepreneurship, productivity. Do you find yourself gravitating toward that type of content? Here's how we're going to take the poll, okay? So thumbs down means I don't enjoy it. I rarely stumble across it. Okay, neutral thumb, we're going to call this neutral, I don't know if that's what it's called, but it's called neutral thumb today, okay. Neutral thumb, I read it sometimes, uh, I, I find it somewhat helpful, okay. Uh, thumbs up, I enjoy it, it's one of my go-to subjects for learning. And then for you all-stars, I, but I just said that, I, I'm just interested in the data, you're not an all-star, forget that. Then the two thumbs up. I'm an industry-leading expert in the field, okay? <laughs> All right, so one, two, three, go. Hold them up. This is, like a, this is like a delt workout as well. Hold them up. Let me see them up there. All right, a couple of you aren't participating. All right, good, good. All right, so good job. You can put your thumbs down. <laughs> um, All right, so the... If you read a lot in this field, all right, you will be familiar with the phrase I'm going to share with you. And if, if you don't, that's okay. We can catch you up real quick. So 
this phrase, focus only on what you can control, right? All right, focus only on what you can control. I really, I, I like that feel. I don't know if I would be like a, a thumb, one thumb up or two, but I'd be like, you know, staggered. And so I like it. Uh, it's, so I, I have the privilege of being able to help lead our staff team here at the church. And I love, I love leadership. I love organizational health, personality assessments, productivity, all that kind of stuff. But when I hear some... I guess leadership gurus you could call them or top tier coaches saying, you know, focus only on what you can control. That's the magic pill. You can you are the only one who can control your attitude and your effort. You hear this a lot, right? You hear this on uh, just a lot of like little quick quick tips or or Instagram reels or whatever it may be. I'm like the man I I'm like, you know, that just sounds really like, it sounds really biblical to me in a weird way, but you're not giving the Bible any credit there. And what, I, what, I, what I'm thinking about is it sounds a lot like a word you're going to probably be familiar with. It has a little hyphen. It's called self-control, right? It's called self-control. And so when you think about these verses, listen to them. For God gave us a, a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Second Timothy but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. You see, when it comes to self-control, we don't just see it as an effort or willpower-driven attitude. Self-control is given to followers of Jesus by the Spirit so we may resist the flesh. Self-control is what we can control with God's help. So think about everything else that you wish you could control. Maybe even think about that opening question. My life will really start getting on the, on the track toward being awesome whenever I control or whenever this starts taking shape or whenever this starts lining up. Think about all those things. Yep, that, those, all those things are out of your control. You have limitations. And that can be really, really frustrating. We often don't want to admit some of those things that we want to control are circumstances, and then we definitely don't want to, we don't want to say this as believers, but man, do we have to fight it. Some of those things that we really want to control are people, right? And we can see here in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, primarily in verses 1 through 9 there, that we cannot control the present nor the future. And circumstances fit in that, and so do people. And that can be frustrating, but our limitations are a gift from God. And it's great, because we are not sovereign. We are not in control. We don't have the attributes of God. We don't have the character of God. We're ill-equipped for that role, for that job. I'm not omniscient. I'm not omnipotent. I am not omnipresent. 
And so I am ill-equipped to line all these things up in my life that I want to control. So it can be frustrating, but man, what a gift to us it is. So use wisdom. It has limitations, and so do I. And that's such a gift. Let's look at verse 10. Verse 10 here. We're going to see some inequities in this section. We're going to see some unfairness, right? We're going to see how does wisdom intersect with what is fair and unfair. So there's two apparent inequities here in this first verse. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and they were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. There's our word, hebel. You can spell that H-E. Some, some will transliterate that with a B or with a V-E-L. And so it mean, it's translated a lot of times as vanity, as meaninglessness, right? Or as a vapor or as smoke. It's all smoke. So, we're seeing, we're going to see some inequities unfold in these next few verses. Because, verse 11 says, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. I want justice against evil and I want it now. Especially when the evil is where? All out there. That's when I want justice. When do I want mercy? When the evil is all in here. Right? That's when I want mercy. I want it speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. He's talking about our depravity. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, why do the bad guys always win. Why? Why? Why does it seem like that? Why does, why does that happen? Nice guys really do finish last, I guess, according to this passage, huh? Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well. Here we go. He's turning the corner here. Yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. So going back to this fear of God, this is a theme that runs through Ecclesiastes. It runs through much of the wisdom literature. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the fear. It's the reverence of God. I'm not living with, with a mirror in front of me so focused on me. I'm not living just taking my one next step, right? I'm not living with my five to ten year plan. I'm living reverent before a God. I, my worldview is different when I live that way. When I live before a holy God. It changes the way I see the world. It changes the way I see circumstances. It changes the way I see people. I start using language like this person is an imager. This person was created in the image of God just like me. 
You start to give value, right, to trials. You start to see maybe God has something in this that he's teaching me. And you start to see that God is in control of all things. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. So, we've got the goodness of God, the fairness of it all on display here. What's going on? You see, when you think about the wisdom literature, it it seems like uh, Proverbs kind of reads as a playbook or as a game script. If you, if you played football growing up, you would do something called walkthroughs and you would run the game script. You would, if, if everything's ideal, these are what our first 10 plays are gonna look like. That's kind of Proverbs, right? But you know, and your coaches probably knew if you played any sport, that guess what? The game was not gonna play out like that, right? Something was going to happen. So you have to prepare for, right, a fumble, for an incomplete pass, for a penalty. You have to prepare for those things because those things are going to happen. So that's why we have the books of Ecclesiastes and Job because they smack us in the face, right? They tell us what life is really going to be like and they help us cope with life. You see where... Where Proverbs is a lot like a game script, a lot like that walkthrough, Ecclesiastes and Job are a lot like the play-by-play. They're what's really happening, what's really going on. And then Psalms is kind of like this post-game journal. Where you get to talk about how you felt during the game. Lord, why did you let me drop that pass? Right? But we, we, I, I see Ecclesiastes 8 here unfolding and just the, the acknowledgement of things don't always shake out the way in which they should in my timeline, right? That's kind of what it feels like. God, I want what I want when I want it. And the teacher here is saying, If you could see with this perspective of you as one that fears God, you will see that he's going to write these things in the end. God is a just God. Possibly one of my favorite verses in all of scripture is Romans 3.26. And because it highlights this characteristic of God. It says this. It says, it was to show his righteousness, God's righteousness, at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. When we see and when we proclaim fear, I fear the Lord, what we are doing is we are saying that God is the author He is the just one and he writes himself into the story and comes down as Jesus and he is the justifier. 
He didn't, he didn't leave it for us to try to justify ourselves, try to make things right, try to make things fair, try to make things equal for ourselves. He came and did it. And so we can look at this and we can say, hey, I love when things work out as they should when it's toward my convenience. We can say, I love when grace kicks in, when I don't do my part. But perspective can be that I am the one, right, who is, <clears throat> that perspective can, can, you can look at it and say, man, this is all happening out there. But that perspective can be, what happens whenever this, whenever I'm the one, right, that is in need of mercy. And I'm thankful for verses like Romans 3, 26. And not just thankful for the verse. I'm thankful for the truth. I'm thankful for Christ himself. So let's look at this last section here. Verse 14, and we'll start to tie this all together. So, unsearchable. How do even the wisest people relate to the unsearchable ways of God? Here it is again. There's a vanity. It's all smoke. It's all a vapor that takes place on earth. That there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. So it's still, it, it just doesn't make sense, right? Why does this happen? I said that this also is vanity. And then we turn a corner here. Look at verse 15. It says, and I commend joy for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful for this will go with him in his toil, there's that word again, through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. This can sound a little bit flippant out of context, can it? Just eat, drink, be merry. It's what it kind of sounds like. Just... Let's enjoy life. Live it to the fullest, dude. Dude just sounds like it should come after that. <laughs> but in the context of fearing God, of what we've looked at for the first seven chapters, and where we're headed in chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, which is keep the commandments, fear God. That's what I've learned throughout all this. Everything else is smoke, it's vapor. Fear God, keep his commandments. That's what you should do. And then he, here he says, I commend joy. Be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice, Philippians 4 says. What an emphasis on joy in the New Testament and a surprise here in Ecclesiastes because of a book that can sometimes sound pretty redundant, right? Some people think, man, you should just preach Ecclesiastes in one message. Just overview, sermon, boom, done. Right? Kind of says the whole thing. Boom, done. I don't want to be in that sad book over there anymore. But he commends joy here. He commends us to rejoice and enjoy life. Why? Why, does, why is that the answer? Because wisdom is going to look 
very joyful in these times. That's how wisdom's going to look. It's going to have its limitations, but wisdom's going to be humble as, as it looks like a man with a shining face, right? It's going to look different. It's not one of those things that you can be like, yo, well, how are you growing? Well, I'm just growing in my wisdom, right? You can tell, can't you? My face is shiny. <laughs> wisdom has a humility to it. Joy has a humility to it. There are things that you can see upon a person's face, but they're perspective changers. Joy is a perspective changer. It, it really shapes how you now see the world. You can see that God's hand is at work. You can see that people have value. You can see that situations are lessons. God is teaching me something. He's causing me to trust his character more. And then in verses 16 and 17, it says this. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep, then, so this is a when-then statement. You see that in verses 16 and 17? When-then then I saw all the work of God. So here's his, here's his findings. Here's his learnings. And man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil, there's toil. This has been a theme throughout the book. In seeking, he will not find, out, find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. God, our God is working in ways that we cannot imagine. There are a thousand things going on behind the scenes that we may not ever be privy to on this side of heaven. Our God is incomprehensible. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Ephesians 3.8 says, the riches of Christ are unsearchable. That is something that you can rest in. It is, it is life shaping. This can change your Monday to Sunday. The way in which you live. The way in which you see the world. It can change it. It is perspective changing. The fear of the Lord. Wisdom. Joy. Embracing your own limitations. This is life changing. It is good news. It is good news that he is God and I am not. It is such good news for us to rest in. Listen to this passage. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you want to turn there, it's a long section. I'm going to read it for us. As we think about wisdom, as we think about using wisdom, embracing those limitations that, that earthly wisdom has, right? Earthly wisdom from God, but it's encased in a human vessel. And it says this, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Just 
stacking up the accumulation of more wisdom on more wisdom. When wisdom is the end is what he's talking about there. And the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. You see how this sort of wisdom, but this sort of perspective shift, this fear of God, this sort of joy really is an upside down kingdom. It turns things on its head. So I want you to envision a life where you have control over all the variables you think you want and need. That's why Ecclesiastes 8 was written. It's to warn you from going down that path. You don't need to be in control of that. You, don't, you and I don't need to be in control of everything that we want and need to be in control of. You don't need to just stack wisdom on wisdom on wisdom just for wisdom's sake. You need to use wisdom like a captain who's navigating his boat through some, some rocky waters. Because that's what we're doing. We're navigating through life's circumstances. And so that type of life where you have control over all the variables that you think you, you want and you need, it, is, it actually isn't as joyful as we imagine. So remember, use wisdom, but it has limitations. And so do I. And that's a good and beautiful Thing. It's good news. It's good news so much that the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So, because you and I have limitations and needs, it reiterates that we are not self sufficient. That's a good thing, folks. Not only do we have limitations, we have sin and we're in need of a Savior. That's why we proclaim Christ crucified. Because I am not omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. I am not that one. You are not that one. And we need a Savior. So rejoice in the fact that God is God and you are not. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the fear of the Lord. God, we know we can't drum that up by ourselves. We need something outside of ourselves to give us that, God. And we want to be wise people. We want to be people whom our, our faces shine with your wisdom in a humble and approachable way. God, but we want to be people who also 
not only pursue wisdom, but we pursue and are aware of our limitations. And we can proclaim that God, we are sinners in need of a savior. And so, Father, we proclaim Christ crucified. We thank you for the sacrifice of Christ. And so, God, when we, when we sing our pleas and our praise to you, Father, we do so from an impassioned heart of, of one that is embracing our limitations. God, we need you. We need you, and we sing our praise and our love to you, Father. And so, God, I pray that you would use this word to shape our weeks and our lives ahead. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.